You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. My name is Janine Bitson, and it's been a wonderful morning sharing the mics with Tim Mosier. Great to be here, Janine. Happy to be here. Yeah, it is. It's great to be with you, too. And now our next guest uh, I'm really excited about. It's always such a joy and pleasure to have His Excellency Bishop John Folda join us. Welcome, Bishop. Thank you. Good morning. I I must quickly interject. As my six-year-old son, Romeo, would say, Bishop John T. Folda. That's that's how he addresses you, by the way, Bishop. Does he? Oh, good. Okay. John T. Folda. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Janine. Oh, no. That's so wonderful. And that must be with Thomas. And we just celebrated his feast day not too long ago, last week, I believe. Correct. Right. Oh, well, welcome. Uh, You know, we're just so excited to have you because you're celebrating a great anniversary with the Diocese of Fargo. Uh, It's great for all of us in the Fargo Diocese, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, so what year is it, Bishop? It is the 10th anniversary. It was on June 19th. That mm. was the day of my ordination and installation as bishop. So so 10, 10 years, I've been very blessed. So when you were growing up, I'm just curious, just give our listeners a little, a little background. Did you always think you'd become a priest, or was this something that came a little later in life? How did the Holy Spirit work? No, I really didn't have any plan to be a priest until I was in college. Um, it was... During my college years that the idea first came to me, I was studying architecture and engineering, and uh, after a few years of that, uh, the idea of the priesthood wasn't going away, and so at a certain point I just decided I needed to give that a try, and I I ended up going to the seminary. I was 22 and never looked back. I just knew that that was where I belonged, and that was what I was called to do. Hmm. Well, and with that architecture background, I tell you, I've never seen so much building and process <laughs> progress in 10 years uh, like we've had in the Diocese of Fargo. Um, I'm sure your background, uh, the Holy, well, God needed you here at a certain place and certain time for kind of helping and direct with that, too. Well, it's, yeah, it's been interesting to, to be part of some of those projects and just to kind of track them and give some input on them. So I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. It's helped me to put some of that some of that old skill or some of that old uh, work to use. So I'm curious, Bishop, you know, I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking now of, of the, the, the realism of it all. So you're sitting there. Tell us, how did the call to come and to ask you to be Bishop, and how did you react? To take us through that. Well, I was rector of St. Gregory the Great Seminary at the time down in the state of Nebraska in the Diocese of Lincoln, and I, I remember it well. It was Tuesday of Holy Week, and I was sitting in my office talking to uh, Dr. Nolan, one of the uh, faculty members at the seminary, and the phone rang. It was right after lunch, and I picked up the phone, or I reached for the phone because I, I knew that uh, our our secretary wasn't in, and so I grabbed the phone, and um, there was a, a, a voice with an accent on the other end of the phone <laughs> asking asking for Monsignor John Folda, and I said, "This is Monsignor Folda," and he said, "Well, Monsignor, this is." Uh, Archbishop Vigano from the Apostolic Nunciature, and I have important news for you. And at that point, I knew that I should probably take this call alone. So I asked <laughs> Dr. Nolan to step out, which he did. And uh, then he told me that I, the Holy Father had chosen me to be the next bishop of the Diocese of Fargo. And he also said uh, uh, a little further into the conversation, you know, Monsignor, if you accept the 
appointment, you'll be the first bishop that Pope Francis appoints in the United States, because he had just been elected several days before that. So it was it was quite a surprise, and uh, I just was totally stunned, of course, biggest surprise of my life, I think, and, and certainly wasn't expecting anything like that, but uh, I realized, you know, I... I had promised obedience when I became a priest, and I just figured this was part of it. So I said yes, and just kind of felt a certain peace. But I also realized right away that, you know, the moment I said yes, that my whole life was going to change very suddenly, and it and it sure did. So, so, so I have a question for you, Bishop Folda, because I remember on a mass that happened. I believe it was at the Basilica. In- Washington, D.C. No, it was at, in Philadelphia when you came face-to-face with Pope Francis. Um, what did you say to him? There was a little smile from both of you. Oh, I, uh, I told him. I, I was uh, one of the bishops that got to meet him personally that day, and, and I told him, I said, Holy Father, you have no reason to know this, but I'm the first bishop you appointed in the United States. And he, he smiled, he shook my and yeah, he certainly understood what I told him and shook my hand real hard, and we had a nice little, little laugh about that. Yeah, I, I just remember seeing that on the television, and I always wondered what was said between the two of you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. We're talking with Bishop John T. Folda, Bishop of the Diocese of Fargo, uh, about his becoming a bishop. Bishop, uh, two words come to mind as you were taking us through the phone call, and even with, with, with uh, the Pope, Pope Francis. The words that come to mind are humility and faith. I'm just thinking, there you are taking this phone call. It's like, me? Me? <laughs> this, I, I'm guessing you had this profound humility, really. And then, like you said, stepping forward, you promised obedience to the Holy Spirit. Okay, Lord, we'll move forward in faith. Is that an accurate description, maybe, of a couple of things you were feeling and thinking? Well, I, I don't know if I felt humble. I felt humbled. I, humbled, I, yes. I, was, yeah. sure. I was suddenly very, very conscious of mm-hmm. how how unworthy I am for, for such a calling, and still am, frankly, and always will be. I was also very aware of how, how big that responsibility is, and I just remember feeling kind of inadequate to it, as a matter of fact. You know, I just thought, like you said, me? How could this even possible or be possible? But, but I also had worked around our own bishop long enough to know that, you know, God provides and you know, you're always going to be called to responsibilities that seem to be outside of your wheelhouse or outside of your comfort zone, and you just have to put it into God's hands. And <laughs> so, yeah, it really was an act of faith to say yes to that, and and I think therein, you know, comes our peace when when we put ourselves, when we put our our lives and our our uh, ministries into the hands of God. He's really the one who does the heavy lifting, and we just have to. Uh, be his instruments, be his cooperators in that work. I, I always remembered that uh, the motto of Pope Benedict was cooperators within the truth, and so I've, you know, that's not my own motto, but I, I kind of took that to heart that we just have to cooperate with God's will and, and allow ourselves to be his instruments, and and he works through us, and he does that with every one of us, you know, mm-hmm. no matter our calling or vocation. He works through every one of us, and I continue to trust that, that that's what he does in my role as bishop, too. Yeah, you know, one of my, my favorite quotes from a saint that uh, our family is very close to is Blessed Columba Marmion, um, and it's true humility 
isn't to deny the gifts God has blessed you with, but to use them for his glory. And and that is just so true, you know, and I'm just so grateful for your humility because when when the lay people, and this is just speaking from a lay person, see a truly humbled priest, uh, one that that lives in humility, it's a great witness for us and how to live our lives. So as being our shepherd, I just want you to know how grateful we are um, for your humility. Um, it, it's a, an incredible gift that you have as our bishop. Yeah, we, I, I want to echo that. And just, you know, what came to mind, the image came to mind when you're talking is, you know, uh, Peter's call in Luke chapter 5, right? Lord, leave me. I'm a sinful man. Come right. after me. I will make you fishers. Like you said, just you get put it in God's hands and off you go. And I loved your point, too, about every one of us, no matter what vocation we have, face a similar type of thing where we humbled and we just need to move forward in faith. That's mm-hmm. that, that's just amazing. Well, Bishop, no, let's, let's talk a little bit about this. Because you're a priest, Monsignor, of course, working in seminary. But now you have to put on a bishop's hat. Well, shall we say a bishop's mitre? <laughs> and so, okay, t- tell us a few of the differences about uh, b- being a bishop and uh, how you adjusted to that. Well, the very obvious thing is that suddenly you're responsible for an entire diocese, and in my case, it was a diocese that I had no knowledge of. Really, mm-hmm. I had never been to North Dakota at the time. I, you know, I was from Nebraska, so I knew uh, Midwest life. I knew rural life, and and. So that was a big help, and I've always said that being in North Dakota is really not that different than being in Nebraska. It was a very easy move for me to make. But, you know, nonetheless, it was a diocese that I I really didn't know, and the priests, the deacons, the religious, the people um, were all, for the most part, I I did know a a handful of people, just a small number, but um, by and large, this was new territory for me. So it was, a a, you know, obviously a a steep learning curve, a big... uh, project to suddenly get to know this diocese, and um, to make that transition, I, I just had to suddenly, you know, learn a lot of names, a lot of faces, and and get to know places as well, just kind of get to know the lay of the land here. So that was, that was really one of the first things that I tried to do, is learn as much as I could and start to make some contact with the the priests here, particularly uh, Monsignor Gehring and Father Luke Meyer, who were working in the pastoral center at the time, and they were kind of my my principal contact, along with Bishop Kagan, who was the administrator, and uh, just really kind of prepare for, for coming here. The other thing that I realized once I got here and, and became the bishop is, you know, just the, the fact that the, the whole diocese is now under your care and your your oversight and you know previous to that I had been a pastor and I had uh, worked in seminary work for a while and you know that responsibility that ministry you know you have one focal point one thing to be responsible for but now I was responsible for all the priests and all the parishes and all the the people in the various different communities so it's a it's a much wider responsibility and that's that's a pretty big challenge and pretty daunting but you know again all you can do is put it into god's hands and and give it your best shot and that's kind of what i've tried to do so bishop we're going to be going on a quick break here in about a minute and a half but maybe we can have you quick tell us before the break what are the best aspects of being a bishop <laughs> Boy, there's lots of lots of joys. I, I have to be honest about that. I always really enjoy visiting the parishes. I, 
thoroughly enjoy going out, especially during confirmation season. But any time during the year when I can visit the parishes and uh, celebrate Mass with people and just spend time out there, Anytime I can get out of the office is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> that comes from an engineer. You want to be, like, applying the science. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's true. Uh, yeah, the other thing I, I guess I really love is the opportunity to spend time with priests. You know, I've, I've been so, so blessed in the priests, the deacons that we have in our diocese, and to spend time with them, and we, which we do regularly, and uh, just to... to collaborate with them and to support them in their work as, as priests in this diocese and, and the deacons as well. Uh, that, too, has been a great joy, a great blessing for me. But really, you know, again, it's, it's being with the faithful and sharing faith with them and being built up by their faith as well and, and receiving the gifts, seeing the gifts that they have uh, to give to the work of the Church. That's really, really a great blessing to me. Oh, well, that, that's just wonderful. We, we thank you for sharing that. We're going to take a quick break. We want to thank our listeners for joining us on Real Presence Live. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back with more from Bishop T. Folda of the Diocese of Fargo. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Have you forgiven those who have hurt you, especially those who abandoned or left you after taking their own life? I'm Father Chris Alar. Jesus says that you can only be forgiven by God if you forgive others. It is one of the most important things you can ever do, for if you don't, you are jeopardizing your own salvation. When you refuse to forgive someone, you are not hurting them, you are only hurting yourself. Forgiveness is a critical part of the healing process, which includes forgiving yourself. Also, forgiveness may not be nearly as difficult as you think. So join us and learn how to forgive, and God can fully forgive you through His love and mercy. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. As Catholic people, we recognize our lives are gifts from God. Blessings received are a result of God's grace and goodness. Our Lord entrusts us to be good stewards of His many gifts. We are called to conduct lives that honor Him and bear witness to our faith in Jesus Christ. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio. As we begin a new year, let's reflect a moment on stewardship. Your life should provide an example to others in the way you live your faith, the way you manage your possessions, and the way you plan your estate and personal affairs. You have spent a lifetime acquiring your assets and living your faith. Fortunately, we can provide you with an estate planning guide that allows you to put all of your important information in one place and enable you to document your intentions. To request an estate planning guide, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Real Presence Live this morning. My name is Tim Moser, along with... Janine Bitson. You betcha. We're your host today from the Fargo Studios. And speaking of Fargo... We are talking with Bishop John T. Folda. We, we were laughing right in the break. I think uh, Janine may have said just Bishop T. Folda. I said, did you forget the John? She says, that's my husband's name too. You know? <laughs> so we're sorry, Bishop, if we if we didn't quite get your name or, or anything right, Your Excellency. But uh, no well, welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you. Well, Bishop, before the break, you talked about some, some of the joys and some of the, the wonderful, great, positive aspects about being a bishop. But I guess there's probably some challenges as well. Why don't you share a few of those with our listeners? Oh, yeah. There's, there's always challenges. And... <laughs> there are challenges in every life, so mm-hmm. that's not unique yeah. to me. Yeah. I, I think a few of the things that have been particularly difficult are uh, you know, church closures. You know, we've yeah. had a handful of parishes that have had to merge or close, and that's always a kind of a cause for sadness when that happens. But that's a reality with changing demographics and population, and sometimes that's really been a, a reality of life in the diocese since the diocese was founded. Is that parishes come and go, and that's not something we like to happen, but it does happen. Um, Another thing that has been challenging, I think, for every bishop, not just for me, is kind of dealing with the the fallout from the uh, abuse crisis that Mm -hmm. kind of came to the fore about 20 years ago, even more than that really now, but uh, that's still a, a very, very painful issue for many, many people, and certainly for me too, and so I think dealing with that is is always a, a cause for real sadness and and difficulty, and just there's a lot of wounds to be healed. So that's that's been hard too. Um, I, I think really on the on an ongoing basis, just ch- taking on the challenges of our of our culture, of our society that has become so much more secular, and the practice of the faith has has lessened in so many. Uh, the lives of so many people, and and that includes in our church too. You know, the number of people who attend mass it kind of varies from parish to parish, but uh, the number of people who attend mass is not as high as it used to be in some places, and that's that's a challenge. And I think we always have to be uh, examining ourselves and and asking what we can do to draw people back, to welcome people back, and to uh, really help them to recognize the place of God in their lives. And so that's that's a challenge, but I think that's been a challenge for the Church since the time of the Apostles, is how do we uh, invite people to have an encounter with Christ? And, and that, of course, most uh, vividly happens in, in our Eucharistic lives and the faith, and uh, Eucharistic faith. So that's that's a big challenge, but there's also a lot of joy that comes with that, too. Talking with Bishop John T. Fold, the Diocese of Fargo. You mentioned the Eucharist, uh, Bishop, and, and so, so, so true, that the real presence. I, a friend of mine once said, who doesn't believe? He says, if I really believed that was Jesus, I would I would walk up on my knees. You know, mm-hmm. just the idea of the real presence really helps us to encounter Christ as he, but not just encounter, but then witness and, and, and perform acts of charity and mercy, the gospel. You, I'm so proud of you, Bishop, because you are actually taking the bull by the horns here. Aren't you preparing some kind of message for, I think, men's and women's retreats and things you can use? across the diocese that's focused on the Eucharist. The USCCB says, let's have a Eucharistic revival. And tell us a little bit about your plans for that. Sure. Uh, you know, we've been uh, entering into this time of a Eucharistic revival for about a year now, and we've been trying to just really draw attention to uh, the, our faith in, in the Eucharist, which is the real presence of Christ, as you said. And a couple of the things that, that I'm doing in the diocese myself, 
I'll be offering uh, some retreats, uh, a men's retreat in a couple of weeks and a women's retreat later in the fall that really will focus on the Eucharist, kind of an invitation to people to come and, and go a little deeper in their relationship with Christ and especially how our Eucharistic faith plays out in our daily lives and, and how that really uh, draws us into a, a deeper relationship with God himself. Uh, so the Eucharist is central to it all. The, the theme for the Eucharistic revival nationally is my flesh for the life of the world, which is drawn directly from the sixth chapter of John. Jesus speaks of himself as the living bread and that he gives his flesh for the life of the world. And uh, that's what we're trying to focus on. And, and our uh, retreats and, and all the other activities that are uh, parish-based activities that are going to be happening during the Eucharistic revival just are uh, an encouragement to our faithful to deepen their Eucharistic faith. But it's also, uh, you know, kind of a mission impetus as well. That is, how do we go out? How do we go out of our parishes and, and welcome others, draw others, invite others in to share this Eucharistic faith that we have? So that's that's part of what I'm hoping to accomplish right. uh, during this coming year. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that title, too. My Flesh for the Life of the World. You talked about practical implications, and a couple just hit me right between the forehead. Mm-hmm. Right? Think about husbands and wives in marriage. I give you my flesh for the life of the world, both in procreating children, but in raising them. The sacrifices we make, giving our flesh, giving ourselves so others can live, so others can encounter Christ. I love that, and that's a wonderful image. Of course, you can apply it to anything, your job, your work, your friendships. My flesh for the life of the world, as Christ gave of himself, we're called to give of ourselves. Wow. Okay, Jeannie, you better cut me off. What, what, what question do you have for Bishop Holda? Oh, there's, there's so many. It, Sorry, Bishop, you know so how many. I get. But, but I am really excited about the Eucharistic revival, and I'm just so grateful that we have Bishop Cousins in the Diocese of Crookston, and that we have you here in the Diocese of Fargo, and then our whole listening area. I mean, we have incredible bishops in our Bishop listening Barron, area. Bishop Barron, down in Winona, St. Mary's. Yes, I mean, just... We can't leave anyone out in our listening area as far as the 10 dioceses and the wonderful bishops God has blessed us with. And, um, you know, but there are some common misconceptions that, you know, the laity have about what it is to be a bishop. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Well, you could probably answer those more than I can. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think sometimes sometimes people... uh, do have misunderstandings about about my role, and you know, for one, I, I don't own all the parishes of the diocese. The, mm-hmm. the parishes stand on their own, but they're all canonically part of the diocese, and so they're under my my care, my uh, responsibility as as bishop, as shepherd of the diocese. But but I don't own them. I'm not you know I'm not the sole owner of those parishes. Uh, I think sometimes, um, oh, I, I don't think people always understand the the variety of responsibilities that I do have. You know, oftentimes people see me uh, only like for confirmations, for instance, and I think they don't uh, necessarily realize the, the wide range of um, responsibilities that I, have, that I have. And so, I, I, you know, I'm pretty open about uh, sharing with others or answering the questions that people have about what I do. I always get a kick out of questions, especially from kids, mm-hmm. about what, what my life is like. And and what a bishop does, because, you know, they know who their pastor is, but they don't necessarily know that much about a bishop. And so it's always 
always kind of fun to spend time with young people and to answer those questions as well. I think the other <laughs> sometimes the misconception that some people have is that, you know, I'm like talking to the Pope on the phone every day or something like that. And uh, that certainly isn't the case. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think it's fair to say the Pope uh, cares for all of our dioceses throughout the world, but there's only so much he can do in the same way there's only so much that a bishop can do. So he has to entrust that work to the local bishops, and I have to entrust that work to the local pastors. Mm-hmm. Beautifully said, and I think that that is a misconception of laity, you know, how, you know, the importance of the hierarchy. And and I think it is so beautiful how God ordained the church and how he set up the leadership and how beautiful that is. Right. And so thank you very much for all that you've done. So you've been a bishop for 10 years, and what have you learned in that time about these Fargoans? <laughs> <laughs> Eastern North Dakota. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> of which I'm one, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've learned a lot. I would like to think anyway. I've I learned right away, this was no surprise, but it became apparent to me right away that there's a deep, deep faith here in North Dakota in the Diocese of Fargo. There's a great hospitality, a great uh, kindness among our people. I I was welcomed with open arms, and it just, it was such a, an amazing experience that, you know, this stranger would come among you all and and suddenly be your bishop, and yet... Everybody just embraced me, welcomed me. I was just really struck by the kindness of the people. I've learned, too, that this is certainly not a one-man show. I really depend on all of our priests, all of our deacons, all of our faithful uh, to live the faith. It's not not all about me. I I try to teach the faith, and I try to... uh, celebrate the sacraments with, with love and with, with faith, and I try to be a good shepherd, but I depend on all of you and, and all of our priests and our parishes to really carry out this work of the Church, this work of Christ. 